one thing you tend to do a lot during your time as a pastor is hospital visits. I like to say it is otherwise, but in the 13 years of pastoring so far, I've done a lot of hospital visits. And I'm not a huge fan of hospital visits, as you might all be also. Like, I don't like the hospital, first and foremost. Secondly, when you go to the hospital, sometimes you find yourself in situations where you're not quite sure what to say or even times pray. One time, a bunch of years back, I got a message that no pastor ever wants to get. A young adult uh, that was in our community at the time in the young adult ministry I led reached out to me and she messaged me and said that her brother got in a terrible accident, that he hit a pole somewhere in Tawasin, that the pole fell on the car, that his body was crushed, but also part of his head was also hit. And she asked if I would come to the hospital and pray for her brother. In that moment, I'll be honest with you, I was very reluctant to go. Because what do you pray in that moment? What do you do? But the duty as their pastor took over me and I knew because I knew this family well that I had to go to the hospital no matter how I felt in that moment. And the whole time that I was going to the hospital, I was asking and praying, God, tell me what to do. Show me what to do. Show me what to pray. As I came into that waiting room, I hugged the family members that I knew to try to comfort them. They knew it was going to be a quick visit, um, and so they right away ushered me into the room where uh, the mom was who hadn't left his side ever since they got to that hospital. And her crying and thanking me at the same time quickly gave me a hug and said, hey, we have to be quick, but can you pray for my son? As I looked upon his body, I tried to hide uh, the shock that I was feeling in the moment. As I looked at his lifeless body in an induced coma, cast in certain limbs, tubes coming out of his mouth and everywhere. The only life in that room was the heart monitor that was beeping in the background. And as I put my hand on his arm and asked his mother to do the same, sometimes, you know, you feel like you're just going through the motions. And I've been in that situation before, so I did what I always do, and that was recite a psalm. And then I simply prayed really quickly, reluctantly, God, would you please heal this young man? Would you give the doctors wisdom as they operate on him? But overall, God, we know that you are the great physician. We'll believe that you can heal him right now. So I pray that you would do a miraculous work in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. As I left that hospital, as I left that moment, I was asking myself this question. Did I actually believe what I just prayed? Did I actually believe that God could heal that young man? Did I actually believe that my prayer did anything in that moment? Have you been there? Have you prayed a prayer and wonder if it's going to change anything in your life? Maybe right now you're praying for God to, to heal you or work or intervene in your situation and you haven't had an answer to that prayer. Like what makes prayer powerful, right? Was there any power in that prayer that I, that I said in that room in that moment? What makes prayer powerful? That's the question that 
I want us to answer this morning. We're going to open God's word together and continue our series in prayer. And as you might know, if you've been following with us, Dan talked about unanswered prayer as we started this. Then we moved to corporate prayer and then contemplative prayer last week. And this morning, I simply want to answer this question. What makes prayer powerful? And to do that, I want to go to one of the prayers of Paul found in Ephesians 1, 17 to 21. You can turn there with me if you have your Bibles. It'll also be on the screen. And I simply want to read this prayer to you this morning and take it apart. And together, let's see what we can learn about the power of prayer. Ephesians 1, 17 to 21. This is Paul. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Before we start, I feel it appropriate just to pray one more time. So would you pray with me? Father, as Paul just prayed, I ask that you would do the same in this room this morning, that you would open the eyes of our heart. Father, open the eyes of our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, we know you are here and we ask that you would come and give us eyes to see what you're doing, ears to hear what you're saying, so that we may behold the greatness, the glory, the incomparable power that Paul's talking about in this moment, God. That together we would find out, that we would figure out, that you would show us from this text what the power of prayer is all about. What makes prayer so powerful. God, I can't do that on my own, with my own understanding. So as Paul prayed, would you send the Spirit to pour out wisdom and revelation in the next couple moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Theologian N.T. Wright says, power is one of the greatest themes of Ephesians. Perhaps this is because Ephesus itself and the surrounding area was seen as a place of power. Certainly in social and civic terms, the city was powerful and was set to become more so. It was a major center of imperial influence, if you don't know, in Paul's day. The Roman, Empire, uh, the Roman emperors were keen to establish and maintain places where their rule could be celebrated and enhanced. But it was also a culture, a culture that had at its center religious power. All sorts of cults and beliefs flourished in this city. And frequently the, they focused on power. The power of what we might call magic nowadays or power to make things happen in the world, to influence people and events, to gain wealth or health 
or influence for yourself and to bring about the downfall of your enemies. I don't know about you, but reading that about the city of Ephesus reminds me of the culture in the city that we live in, doesn't it? We're looking for power. We're looking for ways to gain power. But with that in mind, it's in this portion of the letter we see Paul praying. And I love this. Paul is not just praying for these Christians in Ephesus. He's praying for the church in general. But not only that, he is modeling for us how to pray. You know, if you read the book of Acts, you will quickly come to conclude that Paul is a man of prayer. But what we find here is the content of those prayers. And what grabs me and what uh, amazes me, what challenges me about Paul's prayers is that his prayers are so expansive, aren't they? New Testament theologian David Crump says it like this, Paul's prayers are extravagant. He asks for nothing in moderation. And what makes this doubly powerful is when you understand these prayers, where they were prayed from. See, Paul is praying these prayers, not from a beach in Mexico or a villa in Italy. No, his extravagant, expectant, emotionally deep praying takes place in a jail cell in Rome, in chains. And I want to be careful not to um, idealize Paul's spirituality in this moment because we need to understand he's a human just like me and you. He's a human being. And I'm sure in this moment, he's probably prayed prayers of asking God to get him out of this prison cell. Unanswered prayers up, to, up until this moment. He's probably asking God, like, why did this happen to me? He's probably praying like the psalmist, how long, O Lord? But in this moment, a greater burden weighs down on him more so than his chains. A greater burden, a greater hope grips his mind and his heart. A greater truth, a greater power. So much so that Paul wants the church to know what he knows in this moment. So he prays, I want you to know, Paul prays, that you may know that the eyes of your heart may be open. Paul uses the verb know twice in this prayer. So the question is, what does he want us to know? What does he want the church in Ephesus and nowadays to know? He wants us to know God. He wants us to know God. But not just know about God, but he wants us to know the living God. To experience him firsthand, intimately. Deeper than you know anyone or anything else. That's what he is praying in this moment. But also, he wants us to know the benefits of knowing God. And although there are, there are three benefits here, I just want to highlight one and spend our time talking about one. And that is this. He wants us to know the surpassing greatness of God's power being exercised towards you right now. I'm going to say that again. He wants us to know the surpassing greatness of God's power being exercised towards you right now. But in order for that to happen, in order for us to know two things need to happen. A local pastor that's well known in this area of Vancouver by the name of Pastor Daryl Johnson on a commentary on this passage says it like this, God must open up to us and God must open us up to what God has opened up. In order to know God more intimately, we need a double work of grace. That's how relationships work, don't they, right? 
I can stand up here and I can talk to you and you can deduce from the way that I talk, the way that I dress, the way that I look, you know, certain things about me. But in order for me to let you know, or in order for you to actually get to know me deeper, that, you know, I've been married for 15 years, that I have four kids, that I, be, I was born in California, right? I need to open myself up to you. I need to tell you some things about me. And if we're going to be friends, I need to open up my mind and my heart so that we get into a deeper relationship, right? And vice versa, if I'm going to get to know you. A double opening needs to happen. And in order for us to know God as God truly is, God must open God's self to us and God must open then open our eyes to apprehend what God has opened up. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? So when Paul prays that the Father may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better, that our eyes might be opened, he's praying not that we would receive the Holy Spirit, because as we've talked about here already at PKC, we already have the Holy Spirit as soon as we decide to follow Jesus. Paul says this earlier in verse 13 when he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Rather, Paul is praying right now for a specific work of the Spirit to take place, that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and revelation. Revelation is one of Paul's favorite words that he uses. And in the original language, it could be better understood as this word apocalypse. Apocalypse. This word in our culture at times uh, is misused to refer to awful cataclysmic events. But in the first century, this word apocalypsis simply meant opening up. Opening up. It referred to the opening of a door or a curtain to the lifting of a cover off a box. People wanted in this culture apocalyptic moments. Paul is asking the Holy Spirit to pull back the curtain so that we may know more fully the God Jesus knows and is. Do you hear me? Paul asks that the eyes of our hearts be open to this. In the Bible, the heart is the center of our personhood. It's the seat of our emotions. It's where we feel, the place where we feel, but also it's the, the seat of our intellect. It's where we think. It's also the seat of our volition. It's the place where we make decisions. So Paul, in essence, when he prays, enlighten the eyes of their hearts, he's praying, get a hold, God, of the central center of their being. This is what I want you to get this morning. If you're here this morning and if you put your faith in Jesus, your allegiance is to him, you believe the gospel, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that one day he's going to come back and make all things new. You have experienced this double work of grace. And you ha if you haven't this morning, I'm praying that you would in the next couple moments. But to you that believe, you believe because God gave you the spirit of revelation. God gave you in an apocalypse. He opened your eyes to his grace and his mercy. You're in a relationship with the one true God, the God of the universe, because, uh, because he opened your eyes to that reality. You have access to the father of all creation through Jesus. If there's one thing that me and Tan want you to get, in this whole series, if there's only one thing that you take away, is that it's this, that you have a relationship with the Father. 
And because of that, you can pray to him any time. That in and of itself doesn't stop blowing my mind. And I hope right now as I bring it up, it should bring about a sense of awe to you in this moment. This isn't just something. That is everything. When it comes to prayer, that is everything. Paul knows this and he understands this. And as Christians, he understands part of our spiritual growth is understanding this in a deeper and deeper and deeper level and way as the years go by. But also, but also, this is the key to understanding what makes your prayer so powerful. Get this, it isn't the content of your prayers that make them powerful. It isn't how you pray, be it sitting down or standing up or kneeling down, whatever. It isn't that you yell your prayers or you whisper your prayers. It isn't because you're full of faith or maybe you're just putting together the crumbles of faith that you have in that moment that you're barely holding on, whispering that prayer. It isn't any of those things that morning. What makes prayer powerful, it's not what or how you pray, but who you are praying to. You hear me this morning, church. It's not what or how you pray, but who you are praying to. The one and only God, Yahweh, your father that you now have access to because of Jesus through prayer. He's the power source you are tapping into. That's what makes prayer powerful. See, I I don't like talking about the power of prayer because as I said before, you know, Buddhists pray. Muslims pray, Hindus pray. But what makes Christian prayer distinctive and different is the power of God being tapped into in that moment. See, our prayers are addressed to our good father. And Paul is praying in this verse that as Christians back then and now, we would understand this deeply, that our eyes would be open and that we would grasp this, that we would grasp this in verse 19. His uncomparably great power For us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. If any passage gets me going, it's this one. But here's the question, how great is this power, right? He talks about it being incomparable. For Paul, the greatest display of this power, the greatest evidence of this power is in the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the evidence that he gives for us in this passage, in this prayer. That is the foundation of our faith. And he right again says, if anybody today imagines that when early Christians said Jesus had been raised from the dead, they meant that he had simply been exalted to heaven, they should think again. That wouldn't have been an extraordinary extraordinary display of power, but rather a normal expectation of many, both Jews and non-Jews. This power of the creator God at once sets itself apart from and establishes itself as superior to all the powers back then, powers that people might ever come across by this one act. The risen Jesus, in fact, is now enthroned on the basis of this power of God over the whole cosmos. And at the center of Paul's prayer for the church is his longing that we will come to realize that this same 
power, the power seen at Easter and now vested in Jesus is available to us in our daily lives. Can you believe that this morning? It's available to us in our daily lives. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead lives and dwells inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit. He's working in you. He's strengthening you. He's saving you. He's transforming you. He's making you look more like Jesus. That is the power Paul prays our eyes will be open to, the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Power towards us means to our advance. Paul prays we know the kind of power, the extent of God's exercising towards us. So he stacks these words trying to dis- describe this incomparable great power. It's kind of funny, actually. In one translation, verse 19 reads like this. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. So four words there. Power, working, mighty, strength. This power exceeds all bounds. And listen to the original language, okay? This is what he's doing. Power, in the original language, would be the word dunamis. It comes to us in English as uh, the word dynamite or dynamism. It refers to the capacity to do whatever needs to be done. Then he stacks that with this word working. This word energia, which comes to English as uh, energy. It refers to the ability to do whatever needs to be done. It's an active energy opposed to uh, a potential energy. Then he puts it on top of might. It refers to an inherent strength, an inerrant ability to overcome resistance. And finally, he stacks it on this last word, strength. The word in the original language is kratos. In English, it comes to us uh, with words ending in crazy. So theocracy, the rule of God, democracy, the rule of people. It refers to the authority to exercise power, the right to work. Paul prays that we would know the power, working, might, strength, working towards us who believe. That allows us to overcome obstacles, overcome the evil one, overcome resistance so that we can be all that God calls us to be. So that we can partner with him through prayer to see heaven come to earth. That is the power we are tapping into in prayer. That is what makes our prayer powerful. Do you remember that young adult uh, on life support? Several months later, at a young adult service on a Friday night, he walks up to me, barely a scar on his body, just something on his head. And he's like, Ben, do you remember me? And to be honest with you, I didn't in that moment because he looked totally different than who I saw in that hospital room. He's like, Ben, you prayed for me and God healed me. And I was in disbelief. I was just like staring at him, probably uncomfortably for him. But in that moment, like I, it was just like a jaw-dropping moment. And he came to, to that service. And, I, and he, you should know, he wasn't really following Jesus up until that point in his life. And he came and he sat down in the front row. And the whole service, I watched him worship and I was in unbelief. And I, I was preaching and he was just such a distraction because he was sitting right there as I was preaching. And I, I couldn't almost remember what I was talking about because I was just in unbelief that God answered that prayer, that reluctant prayer, that prayer with barely any faith in it, right? 
And afterwards, he just followed me around, just wanting to thank me. And I could, it was such a humbling moment that all I could say, hey man, like it just, it was not me. It was God. It was his power through my meager words that somehow in the mystery of how prayer works, he healed your body because he can. It was his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness. Listen, friends, I could tell you many stories of people that have gotten healed, but at the same time, I could tell you many stories of people that haven't gotten healed. And if we experience healing in the now or after we go to heaven, I don't know. But here's my encouragement and here's why I want to build your faith. But we never know when we pray what God will do in that moment. We pray hoping, believing, having faith that there is this power that exists that our Father has. He's all-powerful. And as children, we go to him asking, Father, would you help us in this moment? Would you release that power. And I want to say this. God didn't answer my prayer because I'm a pastor in that moment. There's nothing super spiritual about me. If I told you my story of how I came to Jesus, like even standing up here in this moment amazes me and is the power of my mother's prayers. When you come to God, doesn't matter what you say or how you say it, it is who you are praying to. That's why one of the most powerful uh, prayers that we see in the gospel is, uh, I believe, help my unbelief. It's in that moment you're asking for the power of God to help you bolster up your faith so that you can even pray to see a change in that situation. But here's what prayer is. It's a privilege and it's a gift to be conduits of the Holy Spirit's power. Our prayers are simply a conduit for that power through the Spirit to re be released into someone's life. Or when we pray for ourselves to be released into our life. We talked about it this uh, past Thursday at our prayer ministry training. Uh, I love how one of my friends said it. Prayer ministry uh, is simply this. Prayer ministry is meeting the needs of others based on God's resources, not our own. Prayer ministry is meeting the needs of others based on God's resources, not our own. It's his power. This is the power of prayer. This is why we pray. This is why Paul encourages us in Philippians, again, 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present, present your requests to God. Because every time we pray, we're tapping into this immeasurable resource of God's power. And this is what I realize. The moments that I don't pray, the moments that I forget to pray, the moments that I don't run to God in prayer, I am forgetting this. I'm forgetting about who God is. I'm forgetting his character. I'm forgetting about this power when I try to do it in my own strength. It's not a lack of faith, but it's a lack of understanding this, what Paul is asking our eyes would be open to in this moment. And here's a sad thing about prayerlessness. When we come across a season of it, or even in our culture, or maybe even in our church, maybe even in your life right now, we miss the potential of tapping into that power. F.B. Meyer, a great Baptist uh, preacher and pastor in England, once said it like this, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. 
So friends, what are you facing today? What situation in your life do you need the prayer or the power of God to intervene and intercede? Maybe it's a breakthrough that you've been praying for. Maybe it's a prayer that you've been praying for months and years. Listen to me. The one that we pray to, the one that Paul encourages us to pray to, the one that he prays to in Ephesians 3 is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That power is available to you this morning. 